Over the last week, I have been consistently reminded of the story that Brandon told last week. And it was a story about a lawyer who was walking to the bar in the snow. And so he left these footprints and his son was following behind him. And so when he gets to the bar, his son is there behind him. And it just kept reminding me of the importance of the steps that we take, not only for our lives, but for those who follow in our footsteps. We love stories. Stories stick with people. And as humans, we come by our love of stories very honestly. It started a really long time ago when we would pass down oral traditions, oral history from generation to generation. Well, fast forward a few hundred years and here comes the printing press. And for the first time, people are reading stories. They begin to consume stories in their own homes that are coming from other places. Then came the radio. So people would gather in their homes, in their kitchens, on their porches, but always around the radio to hear of the stories that had happened all over the world during that day. Then came the television. First we had black and white and then switched quickly to color. And for the first time, people were able to watch stories unfold in their own homes. Soon after came the invention of the 24-hour news cycle and social media. And before you knew it, you could watch world events unfold in your hand as they happened. I don't know about you, but I love to watch the news. Okay, I get enamored with the constant stream of information and drama, and with the upcoming election, there is no shortage of drama. And then you throw on top of that the Brexit. Britain left the EU, for anyone that might have missed that massively historic moment. But don't worry, they did all right for the first 980 years that they survived without it. So, and there's a host of other issues that are always coming at us. And I found that it's just easy to get swept away by my mind. I, and before you know it, it just seems like the world is going to hell in a handbasket and all that you can do is just hang on tight for the second coming. But lately, I've been convicted of focusing too much on the problems that present themselves in the world. If my awareness of the problem that I'm looking at gets bigger than my awareness of God's presence upon me, then it's time to look away from the problem that I have become impressed with. When we become impressed with a problem instead of impressed with God, it infects our worship. And if it's not dealt with, it becomes an idol or a God in our life. Judges 6.10 says, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Here in the U.S., we sort of get insulated from this concept of foreign gods or from idols. And really, we don't think that we have them in our culture. But what is the fear of who becomes the next president? What is the fear of, economic, of the economic structure collapsing? What is the fear of poverty? Well, the Israelites served the god Baal because he promised them prosperity. 
So when we fear a problem more than we fear God, it's time to reshift and to refocus our thinking. Romans 12:2 says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." So the question begs to be asked, how do we renew our minds? How do we renew and refocus? Well, we do it in the secret place, in the quiet place with God. That is where we contend for personal breakthrough so that the battles that are won in private can become a public demonstration to the glory of God. But we can only have right thinking renewed thinking consistently when we consistently come to the secret place with the Father. The secret place to me is like a dark room. So back before the age of instant everything, I'm told that you took pictures with cameras and it put it onto film, and that someone would have to actually take the film to like Walgreens or CVS and they would give them the film and then they would go into this dark room and they would get in there and they would take, it would be dark, dark room, and they, so they'd be alone with the film, and they're taking this film out of the roll, and they're dipping it into all of these chemicals, and slowly, this photo is refined, and it comes out as a picture, but if any light was let in too early, the pictures would be ruined. When we spend sufficient time in the secret place being refined, we can come out as a picture, But if our time is cut short, often we come out as a mess. So Jesus, he was fully God, but also fully man. And he understood the importance of the secret place. We find time and time again that Jesus removed himself to pray, to spend time seeking the heart of the Father, And the peace that radiated from Jesus was evident to everyone around him. But when I think about the peace of God, the story that comes to mind is when Jesus calms the storm. So Jesus and the disciples have gotten onto the boat after a really full day of ministry, okay? And so Jesus is tired, and so Jesus goes and he lays down in the front of the boat, and he goes to sleep. Well, Scripture tells us that a huge storm comes, and these waves begin to crash over the sides of the boat, and that the boat actually begins to take on water. But Jesus is still asleep, and the disciples, they run to him, and and they're panicking because they think that they're going to die. And when they wake him, they're crying out for him to save them. But in Matthew 9, 23, he says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And then he rose and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the peace that was within Jesus was greater than the turmoil in the world outside. And because his peace was greater, he was able to speak to the situation and bring peace into the storm. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
Oftentimes, it seems that God will reveal our life calling, and then immediately we'll have a situation that contradicts it. And we can choose to focus on what he has done and what he is doing, or we can focus on what he hasn't done yet. But when we focus on what he hasn't done yet, we undermine what he's called us to do. And we get to choose to live in celebration of what he has done and what he is doing. And that gives us the momentum to deal with what he has yet to do. Because he's going to do it. And when we begin to take God at his word, that is when he moves us deeper into the call that he's placed on our life. So King David was a man after God's own heart. And he spent his youth alone with a whole bunch of sheep in a field. It was just him, the sheep, and the Lord. And he had time to learn how the Father's heart beat. He had time to learn how to walk in step with the Father. David killed a lion and a bear when no one was watching. But that qualified him to later kill Goliath when the entire nation was watching. We love David for a host of reasons, but one of those is that he was a man of supernatural courage. And today I want to share with you a story about David's best friend, Jonathan. So Jonathan and his armor bearer are out for a walk. And to me, the armor bearer is like, you know, the kid that carries the ball at, kick, at uh, the kickball at recess, okay? So he's in charge of making sure the ball gets brought back in after class. And so the armor bearer is exactly what it sounds like. He's carrying the armor for the soldier. So they're out for a walk. And they see on the other side of this ravine, and there's these steep, sheer cliffs. The Bible says a rocky crag. And a rocky, rocky crag is like you would literally have to rock climb up, okay, to get where the Philistine army is. So they see the Philistines up on this rocky crag, like on the other side of it. And Jonathan is feeling pretty good about himself. And he looks to his armor bearer and he says, I think we can take them. So there's two of them. And then there's the Philistine army on the other side of this ravine. And he says, I think we can take them. Now, the real hero in this story to me has to be the armor bearer because he looks back at Jonathan and he goes, yeah, like totally, <laughs> like obviously, two against however many, like we got this. So Jonathan comes up with an idea that is probably the worst plan in military history. If you have two guys against an entire army what are the possible advantages that they could have? Well, one would be the element of surprise, and the second would be a positional advantage. But Jonathan really kills both of those things immediately because he says, let's stand out here, so down in the ravine, until they see us. And if they say, wait, we'll come to you, then we'll stay here. But if they say, come up to us, then we will know that the Lord has given them in our hand, into our hands. So, guys, they're having to crawl, okay, on their hands and their feet up to the Philistine army if the Lord's going to give them into their hands. So I don't do much sword fighting, um, but 
and the little bit of experience that I have, um, I don't think that coming up over the top of a, you know, a rock was, is like a very good position to kill people with. I mean, I'm not an expert though. Um, <laughs> but I, so essentially the position that Jonathan has put them in with this plan is one where either the Lord shows up and knocks the army down or they're gonna die. There's no middle ground. There's no option. So let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, by many or by few. You've got to love his gusto there. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. And then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this shall be assigned to us. Now, I know that uh, you all have a lot more faith than I do, but I would need a bigger sign, at least one that's like in my favor, just a little bit. It reminds me of, of a story that I've heard about George Mueller. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was an evangelist, and he also cared for about 10,000 orphans over his lifetime. But he was also a man of great prayer. Like the man prayed and things just happened. And one day he was spending time with the Lord and the Lord showed him a new building that he was supposed to build. And after his prayer time, he was walking across the yard and a child approached him with the equivalent of one penny. And the child holds it out and he, he hands it to him and he says, this is for the new building. And George Mueller takes that penny and he holds it up before the Lord and he said, thank you for the confirmation. Guys, that we would have faith like that. Here's two men that are doing something that seems completely impossible and yet the Lord gives them a very small confirmation and they jump in with both feet. So let's pick it back up in verse 11. Both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. So the Philistines see how many people? Two. So they know there's two. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. Now, I don't know how your middle school and high school experience went, but if somebody said, come up to me, I'm going to show you something, I'd be like running in the other direction because I'm going to get thrown in a trash can or something. So Jonathan, though, he says to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them. So the armor bearer, the kid that's holding the kickball, gets so excited that he forgets to give the sword to the soldier. And he just goes to town and he takes out the army. Guys, that's, 
that's amazing stuff. So it says panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and the field and those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shook. The ground came into agreement with the courage that they were showing and it literally shook. So let's look at the effect of courage. I believe that the Lord is looking for people to live their story full of courage because courage affects change. We find in verse 21 that the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites. So the news of extraordinary courage traveled really fast. The people that we're talking about here are the Israelites that are living among the Philistines. These are people that you and I know. These are people that used to worship alongside of us. They used to maybe be in your small group or maybe they were on a church staff somewhere. These are the people that have lived for the Lord, but somewhere along the line they have been hurt or disillusioned or offended, and now they are living among the Philistines. They look like Philistines. They talk like Philistines. But when they hear this story of courage, that it's real, guys. It's not made up. It's not hype. It's not something that's pretended so people can live in some sort of emotional frenzy and call it God. They hear that it's genuine. And all of a sudden, their Philistine clothing just It means nothing, and the language begins to fall from their lips as they strip off the armor of the Philistines and run to the other side, and they join the Israelites on the front lines of the battle because people learn their destiny through stories of courage. Courage strips off All the stuff that gets packed onto us, onto our lives, that somehow has nothing to do with the kingdom. Courage is a purifying element, and it gives people strength to stand up and say, what in the world was I thinking? And they run to the other side, straight to the front lines, and it's our job to be ready to receive them with no hoops for them to jump through to reprove their worth, but just an ocean of grace as they retake their rightful place on the front lines of the battle. Guys, courage is like wildfire. We applaud courage when we see it on the news. It's like the story of the fireman that runs into the burning building to save the child, or the soldier that lays down his life so that the rest of his platoon can survive. We always applaud stories of courage. And I don't know if you know this, but we have stories right here at City Hills. Stories of healing and life change and changed relationships. Just last week, I was told a story by a woman who was prayed over at small group. Guys, she has this huge wound, and the doctor said, it's not going to heal. You're going to have to go to a wound specialist. But she was prayed over at small group, and the next morning when she opened her bandage, there was no wound. It was completely healed. When people hear stories of courage, they hear why they exist, and that's to live a life of saying yes to the Father. But the enemy, he works to discourage us 
So we don't report the miracles. So we don't share what we have seen God do. I love that Brandon has made a point of telling people's stories. Everyone in this room has a story, but only you can choose if you tell of God's faithfulness in your life. Those stories, your story, impart supernatural courage on those who hear it. So in verse 22, we find that when all the men of Israel that had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So these are the men of Israel that are actually hiding in Israel. So these are the people that have backslidden. They're hard and cold, maybe complacent. They don't have a passion for God, but they know enough religious routine to get to the right service. They know what tithing is about. They know what to do as far as moral standards go, but they're so far removed from God's purpose for their lives that they are hiding in effect in churches. They are hiding in effect in the hill country of Ephraim. And what did courage do for them? It completely redefined their life. They're hiding. It's the, I don't want to be involved. That's not my personality. I have way too much going on at work. Have you seen my family? Like, I don't have time for this stuff. And often the complacent are a harder group to transform than those who have actually joined the Philistine army. They are cold in the heart, but they know enough religion to stay safe, but they don't burn for Jesus. But guys, in this story, in 1 Samuel 14, they heard one story of courage, and their entire identity shifted. They went from hiding in the caves and the mountains to the front lines of the battle. The Lord wants to revive people that have backslidden and become bound by complacency, and it's going to be because people like you and people like me burn with courage and passion for Jesus, and these stories that are going to come out of breakthrough are going to flush these people out of the hiding places, and they are waiting to hear your story. They are waiting for something to be done that wasn't in City Hills News. They are looking for stories of things that have happened that are equivalent to what has happened on the pages of Scripture. They are waiting for the story that will draw out their identity and purpose in life. They are looking for supernatural courage. In verse 23, it says, So the Lord saved Israel that day. So two guys decided to walk in the story that God had planned for their lives, a story that required supernatural courage. And because of that decision, an entire nation was transformed and an entire nation was saved. So I believe that they would encourage us to walk courageously in the story that the Lord has prepared and planned for you. And I think that they would encourage us to be bold and to tell your story. Often the walking, like, that's hard, yeah, and it takes some time to get used to saying yes to God, but sometimes it's the telling that's the hardest part. 
Because you see the Lord move, and you're like, oh, I should tell someone about that. And then you're like, but what if it wasn't the Lord? Well, it was, because you asked him to. So guys, say yes to what the Lord has. Say yes to walking in courage, and say yes to telling your story. When we begin to live and tell our stories, lives are changed. People are set free, and darkness flees. Because where the light is, the darkness cannot be. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this story of supernatural courage, Lord, and for the many, many other stories in, in the scriptures that um, show us what it looks like to walk with supernatural courage. And Father, I pray that today, Lord, that we would make a decision, Lord, to not walk um, in mediocrity anymore, Lord, but to say yes to the plan, to the story that you have created for us, Lord, that you would give us a boldness to say yes to you, that you would give us a boldness to tell of what you've done in our lives, God. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity, and I just ask, Lord, that you would move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.